Hey, it's Laura Lee. Welcome back to the podcast. It is Thursday, January 31st. You, we've almost made it through January. That's been a crazy long month. So what's going on right now? The millennials are trying to make me pay for their college. That's driving me crazy. And I'm going to give you a little wake up call to adulthood. Abortion becomes legal in some states all the way through pregnancy, but it's been that way in Canada for 31 years. And we're going to talk about that. And Friday's National Hijab Day in Canada, and that should terrify all of us. I'm going to explain why. All right, let's get going. All right, some news to start off. So I've officially launched our new podcast. It's called Gifts from God. Please subscribe to it. You're going to find stories from adoptive families. You're going to find advice about fostering and adoption. So please go there and subscribe. Also, a Revelation series is up now, so you can go and listen to that. We have a new one every day, so don't miss out on that. All right, so this is history behind the news. It's what we normally talk about, but I'm doing something a little bit different this week. I'm going to do some rants behind the news because I'm kind of fired up. And so you get to hear my rants. So to start, first of all, this week I had the opportunity to speak in London. Uh, the Right to Life London invited me to speak on the topic of adoption and I was thrilled. So one of the arguments that people throw at the pro-life movement is that we are actually forced birth or we only care that the baby's born and we don't care what happens after the baby's born. The truth is that that argument is both unfactual, it's also just a nonsense argument. Saying I can only care if a human is murdered or not if I plan on taking that human into my home is of course nonsense, that's just a stupid argument. So imagine if we said that about, say, the homeless. So imagine the government decided they're going to kill all the homeless people. And we stood up and said, hey, I'm not cool with the government just killing all the homeless people. So would you say, well, unless you're going to bring the homeless into your home, you're not allowed to be against us killing them. That would, of course, be just a stupid argument. But the argument's also unfactual. Here's the truth. The pro-life movement is at the forefront of adoption. And there are no unwanted babies. The truth is that there's at least a five-year waiting period for parents who want to adopt a baby. There are hundreds of waiting families and there are no unwanted babies. However, there is still a call to adopt. In my talk that I give, I try to open up minds to the idea of adopting sibling groups and older children. Did you know that there's about 7,800 children that age out of our system without being adopted? And these children are 200 times more likely to be hom homeless. And more than half of them will suffer from substance abuse. And did you know that 78% of children who commit suicide are in the foster care system? So the talk that I gave was divided into two sections, explaining what the process looks like when you adopt and how to support families that have adopted. I was so happy to see so many people representing so many different London area churches. The truth is that the church and the pro-life movement have been on the forefront of adoption. After speaking for about an hour, I opened the floor up to questions and everyone had so many questions. I was answering questions for almost another hour. 
Around the room, there was tables with these great resources. There was adoption agencies and adoption support groups. And everybody was going afterwards and talking to those people at those tables. So my prayer is that more churches will want to learn more about adoption and how to support families that are adopting. I'm happy to co- I'm happy to come and speak to any church that would like to be motivated, um, wants to motivate its congregation to foster or adopt. And what ch- what churches also need is an awareness of what the families going through the process are going to need. All right, the next big story that I want to talk about, or the first big story I want to talk about and have a big rant about, is this new abortion laws in the states. So in New York, it's now legal at any point in the pregnancy as long as the mother's health is at risk. So first, let's break that down. What does it mean by the mother's health? This means both physical health and mental health, just to clarify. So why would an abortion be necessary for the mother's health? First, we have the possibility of tubal pregnancies. This happens in less than 2% of pregnancies and is found in the first few weeks of pregnancy. There's a few options for this. There's a medicine, um, methotroxate, I think, that will actually end the life of the embryo, or it will surgic, or you can surgically remove a section of the tube that the embryo is in. Um, so when you do the surgery and you remove part of the tube, this does not kill the embryo while the embryo is inside the mother, but the embryo, of course, cannot survive living outside of the mother at this extreme early stage of life. The third option is to see if the problem will resolve itself. And in some cases, the problem will resolve itself. However, this is the one case where there's a legitimate case of the mother's health being at risk. This is the only case where an abortion is necessary to save the life of a mother. And this happens at the very, very, very beginning stages of pregnancy. Now, there are other times when a pregnancy needs to end early, but that doesn't mean that an abortion is necessary. If a mother's life is at risk and a a pregnancy may need to end, but there's a difference between ending a pregnancy and having an abortion. What you do when you end a pregnancy is that you try to do what's best for both the baby and the mother, and you may need to deliver the baby early and then do whatever you can do to save the baby's life. There is an American baby named Amelia Taylor. She was born at 21 weeks and six days in October of 2006. Although she needed oxygen when she was discharged from the hospital, um, other than that, she's a completely normal, healthy girl. The record of the world's most premature baby is also shared by someone named James Elgin Gill. He's a Canadian man. He was born at 21 weeks and five days, so just one day earlier than Amelia, and that was in 1988. James was born so early that he was expected to die at birth or if he survived to have multiple or severe handicaps. But James beat all the odds growing up to a healthy teenager and then heading off to college at the same age as his peers. So ending a pregnancy is not an abortion. What an abortion is, is you take a needle, you inject poison into the baby through the eyeball and then wait 48 hours until it dies, a slow, painful death, and then deliver a dead baby. Or you deliver a baby alive feet first, and then before the head is delivered, you take scissors and you snip the back of the neck and cut the spinal cord. Or going in and tearing the arms and legs off the baby and finally crushing the skull and then delivering the baby in pieces. In that case, you have to reassemble the baby on a tray, like a disgusting puzzle, in order to make sure you got all the pieces. Now, how is that better for a mother than just giving birth? Either way, you have to give birth. The baby has to come out either way. 
Now, in these cases, I'm describing an abortion that takes place in the second or third trimester. So any time after the 13th week. In the first trimester, a vacuum is used to suck the embryo out of the mother. In this case, the tiny baby parts have to be examined to make sure all the baby baby body parts came out. So let's just look at the development of the child. So by five weeks, your baby resembles a tiny tadpole more than like a human, but it's growing really fast. However, the circular system is beginning to form and a tiny heartbeat will start to beat during the fifth week. Most mothers at this point are just finding out that they're pregnant. By eight weeks, your baby started moving around though you won't feel the movements. Um, Its nerve cells are branching out and its breathing tubes are now extending from its throat all the way to its lungs that are beginning to develop. Now stop and think about this. The nerve cells are already being developed at this very early stage. So by 11 weeks, your baby is almost completely fully formed. She's kicking, she's stretching, she'll even get hiccups. Although she wouldn't be able to survive yet if she was taken out. By 12 weeks, just a week later, your baby's reflexes kick in. So his fingers will soon begin to open and close. Their toes are curling. The mouth will start making these sucking movements. And if you gently poke your stomach, the baby will feel it, even though you won't feel its movements yet. Now, I'm reading this from a medical site. So think about this for a second. So your baby says he will feel you gently poke your tummy. So your baby will feel if you gently poke your tummy. So then what does an abortion feel like for the child at this point? By 13 weeks, this is the last week of your first trimester. Your baby's tiny fingers now have fingerprints and your veins and organs are clearly visible through her skin. And if you have a girl, her ovaries now contain more than 2 million eggs. This is at just 13 weeks. At 14 weeks, your baby's brain impulses have begun to fire and he's using his facial muscles and his kidneys are working now. And if you have an ultrasound, you might even catch them sucking their thumb. So at 15 weeks, your baby's eyelids are still fused shut, but she can sense light. And this is really cool because if you shine a flashlight on your tummy, she's going to move away from the beam. Ultrasounds are done around this week to find out your baby's sex. So once again, let's stop here for a second and think. It says here, the baby girl will move away if you shine a flashlight on your tummy. So what is she doing during an abortion at this stage? Also, this is the point where baby's sex is revealed. So all sex-selective abortions happen after this stage. By 19 weeks, your baby senses, so they can smell, vision, touch, taste, hearing. Those are all developed, or at least in the process of developing. And she'll be able to hear your voice. Uh, Talk, sing, read out loud to her if you like it. So once again, the baby is beginning to smell, see, feel, taste, and hear. So what is the baby experiencing during an abortion at this part? By 22 weeks, your baby now looks completely like a miniature newborn. Uh, Features such as lips, eyebrows are really distinct, but the pigment of the color of his eyes isn't present yet. Babies have survived outside the womb at this stage. There is no moral allowance for killing this baby. But listen here to a conversation happening in a clip debate on a new bill being, being brought out in Virginia. So how late in the third trimester would you be able to do, to do that? 
Um, it's very unfortunate that our, the, our physicians, uh, our witnesses, were not able to attend today to speak specifically. No, no I'm talking that. about your bill. How, yeah, how, late, I mean, how late in the third trimester could a, a physician perform an abortion if he indicated it would impair the mental health of the, of the woman? Or physical health. Okay. I'm, I'm um, talking about the mental health. So, I mean, through the third trimester. The third trimester goes all the way up to 40 weeks. Okay. But to the end of the third trimester. Yep. I don't think we have a limit in the bill. So, um, where it's obvious that a woman is about to give birth, she has physical signs of, that she is about to give a birth, would that still be a point at which she could request an abortion if she was so certified? She's dilating. Uh, Mr. Chairman, that would be a, you know, a decision that the doctor, physician, and the woman would I understand make that. that. I'm asking point. if your bill allows that. My bill would allow that, yes. All right, that is just pure evil, plain and simple, but it actually got worse. So a radio station did a follow-up with the governor to clarify, and this is how he clarified it no exception. There was a very contentious committee hearing yesterday when Fairfax County Delegate Kathy Tran made her case for lifting restrictions on third trimester abortions as well as other restrictions now in place. And she was pressed by a Republican delegate about whether her bill would permit an abortion even as a woman is essentially dilating, ready to give birth. And she answered that it would permit an abortion at that stage of labor. Do you support her measure and, and explain her answer. Yeah, I'm, you know, I wasn't there, uh, Julie, and I, I certainly can't speak for uh, Delegate Tran, but um, I would tell you, one, uh, first thing I would say, this is why decisions such as this should be made by providers, uh, physicians, uh, and uh, the uh, mothers uh, and fathers that, that are involved. Um, there are, you know, when we talk about third trimester uh, abortions, these are done uh, with the consent uh, of obviously the, the mother, with the consent uh, of the physicians, more than one physician, by the way. Um, and it's done in cases where there may be severe deformities, there may be a, a, a fetus that's non-viable. So in this particular example, uh, if a mother is in labor, I can tell you exactly uh, what would happen. Um, the infant would be delivered, the infant would be kept comfortable, uh, the infant would be resuscitated if, if that's what the uh, mother and the family desired. And then a discussion would ensue between the physicians and the mother. So, so I think this was really blown out of proportion. Uh, but again, we want the government not to be involved in these types of decisions. We want the decision to be made by uh, the, the mothers and their providers. And, and this is why, Julie, that legislators, most of whom are men, by the way, shouldn't be telling a woman what she should and shouldn't be doing with her body. And do you think multiple positions should have to weigh in as is currently required? She's trying to lift that requirement. Well, I think it's always good to get uh, a second opinion and for, for at least two providers to be involved in that decision because these decisions shouldn't be taken lightly. And, and so, you know, I, I would certainly support more than one provider. All right, let's uh, go back to the phones now uh, for the government. All right, so no follow-up questions at all by the reporter, none. So here's a follow-up question that I have. That infant, as the governor called it, because the governor calls it an infant, that infant that you're keeping comfortable, let's say the parents decide to kill it. What will the procedure for that be? 
How exactly are you planning on killing that infant that is being, as you called, kept comfortable? And the mother's health is obviously not a problem here. The baby is not even inside the mother. They are obviously two separate living human beings, not even connected. So for what reason could the mother decide to kill her already born infant? I'll give you some reasons. Down syndrome, maybe missing a limb, or maybe a misshaped limb, maybe a cleft palate. Are those going to be reasons that we just kill somebody now? But no, there was no follow-up questions at all. And then you'll notice at the end what the governor said. He said, and this, this is why these men making laws need to stay out of the decisions. No, this seems like exactly why the lawmakers have to develop laws. Because clearly the doctors have no moral compass at all if they are doing this. Now, before you talk about how immoral Americans are, Canada, we've had this for the last 31 years. And we don't even have to pretend it's for the mother's health. You can kill your baby at any point in your pregnancy for any reason. Now, I'm going to be honest. It's really hard to find an abortionist willing to do an abortion after 23 weeks. In fact, I was at a debate between an abortionist and a pro-life advocate, and the abortionist said he would not do an abortion after 23 weeks, and he had no colleagues that would do it either, but he still thought it should be legal. So just to clarify, he could not force himself to do it, and neither could any of his coworkers. Well, why? Why could they not force themselves to do it? I mean, if he didn't think it should be illegal, then why could he not do it? You know why? Because even the abortion doctor knew in his heart that aborting a 23-week-old would involve killing a completely developed human being. But in Canada, it does happen, and it is legal. And the church has been basically silent on this issue. Look, I want to prepare you to stand up for life, and I have a few ways you can do that. One, go to my webpage, lauraleesiemens.com, and click on video. And there you're going to see a lot of video series. Click on the series, Abortion Debate. And on that series, I have a list of videos that answer specific questions that people have about abortion and the pro-life movement. Watch them and be ready to answer their questions. Two, I would love to come and speak at your event. I would love to come and talk about the pro-life debate and prepare you so you can have a voice for life. I would love to come to your youth group and prepare the youth in your church so that they can be a voice for life in their school. Now, one of the things about abortion is this. Not only is it legal for any reason at any stage, it's fully funded by the government. That means you, as a taxpayer, you pay for it. Now, this week especially, I've been hit with the reality of just how much tax we pay. I tried to find a list of all the different types of taxes we pay in Canada, and I couldn't even find a list. If you have a list like that, please send it to me. I would love to have it. So my next rant is my tax rant. So I've been pretty frustrated with all these pictures I'm seeing with kids picketing, demanding free college and university here in Ontario. So under a liberal government that almost destroyed our province, we just started giving free college to some children. This was actually the first year it was happening. So it's not like it's something we've become accustomed to and dependent on. It's something we can't afford. So Ford has ended it. But I'm seeing so many things on my personal Facebook page demanding, demanding that Ford gives free college and university to students. The worst was a story by this young girl who was complaining because she was going to travel during the summer and now she has to get a job. Oh, the horrors, a job, what? 
So a little reminder, it's not Ford that pays for your college, you whiny little brats. It's the taxpayer. Nothing is paid for by the government. Did you hear me? Let me say this again. Nothing is paid for by the government. Everything you're demanding is paid for by the taxpayer. So here's a little reality check of what it's like to be a taxpayer. First, the government takes money off your paycheck right away, gone. Now this was brought in during World War I and was only supposed to last until the end of the war. The tax was supposed to fund the war. Now like 100 years later, we're still paying it. So what is that like? It's so complicated, but I'm gonna try to go through it really quick. There's the federal tax. So 15% on the first 46,000 and a little bit extra. I'm gonna do some rounding here, but I'm gonna round down just to even make it easier for you, okay? 20.5% on the next 46, 26% on the next 51, 29% on the next 61, and 33% on anything over 205. So that's federal. Then you have provincial tax. It's 5% on, the, on your first 42, 9% on the next 42, 11% on the next 64, 12% on the next 70, and 13% on the, anything over 220. So you're kind of thinking like, well, was, if you're like me, that's a lot of numbers and I don't care and you lost me. So let's just kind of make that a little bit easier. So the average family in Canada makes around $80,000. That's the average family. So let's look at what it would be like, average family, 80,000. So federal tax, you're gonna pay $11,369. Provincial tax, you're gonna pay $5,657. Then you have the CPP deductions. And I know that it says we're gonna get that back, but let's be honest. If you're under 50, you're probably not gonna get this. If you're under 40, it's for sure gonna be bankrupt. You're not gonna get any of it back. So CPP, you're, it's gonna be 2,594. EI deductions, um, which you might get this back. Um, in, like if you uh, are laid off, you get like a year's pay. Um, if you have a baby, you get some money. So um, EI deductions is 858. Now you get some of this back, 858 a year. You're not going to be getting all the money you pay into EI back ever. You'll get some of it back, maybe. So your total tax is 20,477. So that means, all right, if you made $80,000, you're going to be bringing home around $59,000. So that's just the income tax, okay? So you started with 80,000, now you're down to 59. Just the income tax, but we have way more taxes. So we have sales tax, so here in Ontario, that's 13%. But just think about that for a second. Let's pretend you're buying a car. So you have to give the government 13% of what it's worth. So then say five years later, you sell the car. Now that person has to pay the government 13% again. And then let's say five years later, that person sells the car the government gets 13% again. So every single time you resell this car, you have to pay tax on it again. You shouldn't have to pay tax on a used car because the government already got money off that, okay? But then there's land tax. This one is really, really bad. So if you buy a house, you have to pay a land transfer tax. So you pay a tax when you buy the home, but then you have to pay tax on that home every year for as long as you own it, every year. But it gets even worse because the government can just decide your house is now worth more and then you have to pay even more tax. So just imagine you bought a shirt, okay? And you have to pay tax on that shirt. We'll say a $50 shirt. So you pay the government $6.50 for the privilege of being allowed to buy that shirt. 
But imagine if the government said you have to pay them $6.50 for every year that you own that shirt. That's ridiculous. Then the government showed up and said, um, actually, we think the shirt's now worth $75. So now you have to pay us $9.75 every year that you own the shirt. That's land tax and it's robbery. Basically, we can't own land in Canada. The government owns it and we just pay rent. That's basically what's happening. But now you have your home and you have your car and you have your everything in your house that you pay taxes on. Now you want to, I don't know, heat your home or turn your lights on. You have to pay tax on all of that as well. And then your car, you want to drive your car. Well, you pay tax when you bought the car, but then you have to pay the government every year for the privilege of being allowed to drive your car. That's another $108 a year. And then you need gas for your car, right? So here's the taxes on that. So we have a provincial um, tax and excess tax, that's 11%. We have a federal excess tax, that's 8%. Then we have an HST, which is 7%. Then we have the federal GST, HST, that's 5%. So in total, we're paying 31% tax on our gas. And also Trudeau wants that to go up even higher. But there's even more taxes. There's an electronics tax. There's a special tire tax. That's really confusing and there's a really long list. DVDs all the way to large screen TVs, cell phones, anything electronic, they all have an extra tax. And then there's an extra tax on tires and that depends on the size of the tire. So for example, if you're going, you have to pay the government $173 extra if you buy a large photocopier. Or if you're a truck driver and you have to get tires for your trucks, it could be an extra $1,000 just tax. And then when you die, the government looks at all the money you have. It takes a percentage of that for themselves. So you can't even die without paying tax. Now, this is if you are just your regular person. If you are a business owner, then you have a bunch more taxes. Are you getting the idea here? When all our taxes, we pay half of our money to the government, at least half. That means we work January, February, March, April, May, June, all of those months, you are just working for the government. They take all of it. Canadian tax bills has risen 2,000% since 1961. Did you hear that? Let me do that again. It's from our tax in 1961 to our taxes today, Canadians, our bill has gone up by 2,000% percent. And now these little whiny college kids want me to pay more tax for their college education. Really? How about you do what we did? Get a job. It might even be a crappy job. Work, save your money. I don't know, get a loan, work and pay off your loan. I know it's like hard and stuff to like get a job, but welcome to the world where everyone doesn't get a trophy. It's called adult life. And if you want to make a change, how about putting down your picket sign demanding free stuff and pick up a picket sign demanding less taxes? Trust me, when you get out of college, you're going to want less taxes. And maybe if there was less taxes, your parents could afford to help send you to college. You know, if they could keep a little bit more of their money. And that's my rant on taxes and why I don't want to pay for some kid to take gender studies at York University and travel all summer. All right, the third thing I'm angry about and I'm going to rant is this. February the 1st is now hijab day. That's right. We have a day dedicated to covering up women and actual misogyny. 
So I'm going to be tweeting and posting on Facebook stories of women who've escaped Islam with the hashtag no hijab day. You can follow me on Twitter under Lauralee Siemens or on Facebook and Instagram under Lauralee Ministry. So why exactly is this World Hijab Day? Well, when I looked it up on their website, it's just because they want girls to feel safe wearing the hijab. Where exactly are girls not feeling safe wearing it? Everywhere I look, I see women wearing it. The only case we had in Canada of a woman being harassed about wearing it, it turned out the person harassing them was an ex-Muslim and a recent immigrant to Canada who was angry because she knew exactly what the hijab stood for and she knew that it did not belong in Canada. But there is not a problem wearing the hijab in Canada or in the United States or in Europe. It is, however, forced on girls in the Middle East. So where exactly is this problem? Maybe China and Russia. I'll give you China and Russia. It's not really great to wear it there. But let's just be honest, that's a communist country and they're really, they don't like anything there. So that doesn't really count. All right, so why this day? Well, they want Western women to wear the hijab in support of Muslim women. Why? Why do you want me to wear this thing? Here's the plan. And by the way, there is a plan. They don't hide it. Their plan is enter a country, live quietly. Once the population has grown, begin to demand more allowance for Islam. Then, once the population continues to grow even more, get the country to begin adopting Sharia law, or at least adapting to it, being more used to it. Once the population is at 30%, then they want to bring in Sharia law into practice and start the process of turning the country into a Muslim-majority country. That is the plan, and they've done it multiple times in multiple other countries. In 1991, there was 253,000 Muslims in Canada. In 2011, there was over a million, and that was six years ago. The number has increased a lot since then, and it's expected the next census that will be close to 3 million. That's just based on population growth. That's not even taking into account heavy immigration. So maybe you're saying, so what? Why do we need to be concerned about that? Well, I can look at countries that are run by Sharia law and I can tell that I don't want to live in one of those countries as a woman and as a Christian. There are 60 countries in the world where it's dangerous to be a Christian and most of those are Islamic countries. They kill Christians in brutal ways and then post pictures with a caption, a message in blood written to the people of the cross. The caliphate has declared a genocide on Christians. In fact, The killing of Christians is so bad that the Christian population in Iraq and Syria has declined by 2 million people in the last five years. Let me say that again in case you missed it. The killing of Christians is so bad right now that in Iraq and Syria, there are 2 million Christians who are no longer there. And that happened in the last five years. We're talking about the very place that Christianity started, the places Paul traveled and where the first churches were planted. Did you know that when John wrote the seven main churches in his time and when he was writing the book of Revelation, those seven churches were in Turkey? And ISIS at one point was controlling a piece of land larger than all of UK. So, okay, this is what you're saying right now. But Laura Lee, you're talking about ISIS. That's not Islam. Okay. You used to have to travel to the Middle East to be trained by ISIS. But now, all you have to do is go on your phone. These so-called lone wolves, these are not lone wolves. 
they are being recruited and trained online. And we're seeing this already. There was a bomber that was caught in London a few years ago. And I'm talking London, Ontario. He was getting into a car with a bomb. Do you remember him? Nobody talks about that anymore. There was the Danford shooting, which was not mental illness, like we were told. They're admitting now they found tons of weapons in his home. And just a side note, yesterday we had Bell Let's Talk Day. We were supposed to talk about mental illness in order to end the stigma. I have one way we could end the stigma. Maybe. Just throwing this out there as a maybe. Maybe we shouldn't blame every terrorist attack on mental illness especially when it's clearly an Islamic attack. All right, side note. But anyway, there was the attack on parliament where a terrorist almost got our prime minister who was literally in a closet with a shooter in the hallway. People just don't talk about that anymore. There was the attack in Edmonton where a guy tried to kill a police and then hit people with his cube van. We had that woman who attacked people in Canadian Tire and she was trying to kill people in the name of Allah. And this week we had a teen from Syria who, by the way, have been brought to Canada by a group of churches. Churches! So our brothers and sisters in Christ are being brutally murdered with a genocide, and our churches are spending money bringing radical Muslims to Canada. Maybe we could spend some of that money bringing Christians here, or spending the money to help the Christians in the Middle East. And just in case you're wondering, here's one way we can do that. All right, there's this organization, it's CSI, and they've been working in the Sudan since 1995. And what they do is they actually liberate Christians and other non-Muslims who've been forced into slavery by Islamist military men. And so they, you can give them money. They go in and they sometimes they use a local underground network. Sometimes they actually just buy the slave. Um, so you can help and buy $250 that you send them will actually free a slave. So you could spend $250 and you could have a slave, an actual slave on the slave market today because Muslims believe in slavery, by the way, and there's huge slave markets happening in the Muslim countries. You could spend $250 and you could give a Christian uh, who is a slave their freedom. So I'm going to put a link to that organization in my show notes in case you're interested. All right. We've talked about a bunch of stuff. This has been like my ranting because I've been so overwhelmed lately with so much stuff that's happening. Um, We have 31 years of no abortion law in Canada. We have Christians around the world being killed. Literally millions of them are missing. We have a slave trade that, by the way, right now is larger than any other time in history. So I have to stop sometimes and ask myself, what are we going to tell our children that we did? All right. We're not living, we didn't live during the time of the Holocaust. We didn't live at the time when slavery was in North America. We can't go back and do anything about that because we weren't alive then. But we live now during a time of slavery in the Middle East. We live now during the time where there's a genocide of Christians. We live now when there is babies being murdered by our tax dollars in Canada. We live now during this time. So what are we going to do? what are we going to tell our children and our grandchildren that we did? Sometimes it can seem hopeless. And I know, like even now as I'm sitting here and talking, I can feel like it's just hopeless. Like what can we do? Like I talked about, there's organizations that you can find that help free slaves. We can go out. We can talk about abortion and educate people. We can vote. And there's an election coming up in Canada. And there is only one party running that even 
sort of is pro-life and conservative party is really only sort of pro-life but we can get involved you know you can find ways to run yourself we can get into politics we can find people who are running who are pro-life and we can support them financially and we can vote for them so we can make a difference that way and we can speak out about the problems of islam and people are going to call you a racist who cares it's just a word And you know it's not true, and I know it's not true, but we need to speak out about what's happening. But on top of all of that, we can remember that there is hope. That it might seem hopeless, but there is always hope. And that hope is Jesus Christ. That is what our world needs. That is the the solution to the problem. We need to not only be having a better relationship with Jesus Christ ourselves, But we need to be out telling people about Jesus because that is the solution. That is the ultimate solution. All of our sin in this world right now, all the vileness, like God knows about it. He sees all about it. And even though he sees all of it and he knows it, and he knows it on a deeper scale than we can know about it. I I learn about new things, learn about things happening to women in the Middle East. And sometimes I just want to just go back in time and not know it. I look at videos of abortions and I just want to go back and not see that. Because when you see it and you see how evil it is, it just, it changes the world. It's hard to just go about life after you know those things. But what we need to know is that God not only sees all of it and knows all of it, he knows more than we know. He knows even more, even more. He knows how wicked and evil this world is. But even though he sees all of that, And even though he knows all of that, he still loves us. He still loves us. Think about that. That's insane. How can he love us knowing how completely wicked and evil and depraved we are? He loves us so much that he became one of us. Jesus is God in the flesh. And in his love, he took all of our sin on himself And paid the price with his own blood. It was his love for us. The Bible says that for a good man, some might dare to die. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And when we confess our sins and turn to Jesus and believe that he is God and that he is the only one who can forgive our sins. And when we ask him to forgive our sins, he will. It's so simple that I did it when I was five years old. And it's so complicated that there are literally thousands of theological books written on it. It's, but it is simple. Just turn to Jesus, believe in him, and confess your sins and ask him to forgive you because he knows. He knows everything. And he loves you anyway. I'm Laura Lee Siemens. Next week, I'll be back. And next week, I will be doing history behind the news. For more podcasts, blogs, and videos, go to lauraleesiemens.com.